You're listening to MedEx, the Medical Extrusion Podcast. Presented by U.S. Extruders. Extrude with confidence. Custom extrusion equipment designed for you and your application. Welcome to the MedEx Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Maxson. Today's discussion is focused on deflectible and steerable catheters, and our guest is Ross Paulson, VP of Engineering and Design Services at Midwest Interventional Systems, based in Maple Grove, Minnesota. Midwest Interventional Systems is a contract design, development, and manufacturer of minimally invasive delivery systems. Ross, thanks for carving out some time to meet with us today. Absolutely. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here and, and to speak with you. Looking forward to it. Great. To start off, Ross, please give our listeners a little bit about your background. Yeah. So um, a little bit about my background specifically. Um, I'm a biomedical engineer by degree and training. Um, my focus has been exclusively within um, primarily the interventional medical device space, um, focused on the contract design development side. So um, kind of cut my teeth as an engineer, focusing on complex shaft design delivery systems, bringing them through early concept ideation through feasibility, um, then kind of moved into a engineering manage- management and leadership roles um, and brought that to MIS kind of back in 2019 um, when I came with the company. Uh, company was founded in 2017, so I've been with it for most of the duration. Um, and we, we, as you noted, uh, focus in those same areas. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, So we're going to talk about deflectable and steerable catheters. And and as you know, deflectable and steerables are used in a wide range of therapies. But for the purposes of our discussion, let's focus on modern cardiovascular interventions that require transeptal access to the left side of the heart. So we're talking about left atrial appendage occlusion devices, mitral valve repair, ablation catheters, uh, and EP for treating uh, AFib, and then, of course, uh, echo for visualization and guidance during the procedures. Does that sound okay to you? Yeah. I mean, uh, among kind of all of the other areas that we could focus on, I, I, I think that that's a great starting point for us here. Okay, great. Before we get too deep um, into this, please go over some of the design inputs that are required for for deflectable and steerable catheter shafts. Yeah, so I mean, when when we start working with uh, quite a few of our our end customers, we work on defining a lot of those kind of functional or performance product specifications. So working through and defining uh, kink, um, kind of how how tight it can go before we start to see degradation of that design, um, bend angle and bend diameters. So what that specific distal shape looks like in in those shafts, um, whether or not we want symmetrical or asymmetrical articulation, if we have more than one steering plane, um, how many steering planes. So if we're going to bend in one, two, four, um, there's some pull wire forces and then, you know, depending on the applications, whether or not that's kind of a, a guide sheath or we're delivering a, a valve or some sort of repair device or whatever that end payload is, um, we obviously need to work with the overall system requirements, introducer compatibility, 
what some of the um, insertion and withdrawal forces are, both from the overall system perspective, as well as the perspective of the, the implant itself for loading and deployment. Um, so we really kind of work on defining a lot of those um, high level. Um, they're similar based on a lot of the anatomical pathways, but change based on kind of the, the end user need. Okay. For the for the applications that we agreed to to focus on, I believe yeah. that most of the steerable catheters are bidirectional. Uh, when would you see a four way deflectable steerable catheter? So we've typically found that there's two areas where where we're processing um, a construct or layup method that would be similar to a quadirectional. Um, either we're doing a uni or bidirectional sheath that has accessory lumens. Um, that's kind of the same processing, same understanding and approach from our end. But we may be running electrode wires, uh, additional fluid pathways um, or, you know, accessory lumens for other applications. Um, or we're building a true quad directional um, where we really need to have very fine positional control um, or we're working with a more complex AI or robotic driven system that's delivering um, like AI guided ablation or something along those lines where um, that, that fine control is really necessary. Um, there's a couple other applications where there may be lower force um, applications where we're not necessarily deploying a you know, a higher force valve or implant, um, but that repair mechanism, we're able to kind of optimize the number of sheaths that are needed to navigate. You know, a lot of systems end up with two, three, four, five sheaths to get there. Um, but if there's an end lower force application, we may be able to remove or combine one or two sheaths um, into that, that quad directional state to really ensure we get, you know, na native annulus alignment or we're able to navigate within um, kind of based on whatever that patient demographic is, if there is a very specific um, feature within that anatomy, we, we can navigate to that with better control with that four-way if we don't um, have some of those higher force applications and kind of optimize the overall uh, delivery system profile. Okay. Walk us through some of the basic design properties of deflectable and steerable catheter shaft and the construction, con such as the, the reinforcement the, the pull wire lumens, the pull wire mechanism, and the extrusions, both on the inner layer, you know, the, the bricious inner layer probably, and the outer jacket extrusions. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and, and um, in your question, you, you kind of touched on a lot of them, um, but kind of working from, you know, looking at a standard standardized design, looking from the inside to, or for, from the ID to, to the OD of that shaft. Um, typically we're starting with an, an inner liner. Um, historically, it's always been PTFE, um, exactly as uh, I think you've noted on some of your previous podcasts with some of your previous guests, everyone's kind of aware of those supply chain challenges. Um, more recently, we've been looking at, you know, a lot of lubricious thermopolymers, um, lubricious additives to those higher drumder P-Baxes and nylon 12s. Um, so kind of that inner lubricious liner, um, depending on application, that can kind of change more recently based on material. Um, for some higher force applications, applications that would be prone to delamination, we may sometimes be adding a, a tie layer in, um, so just a, a thinner layer um, 
therm thermoplastic. Um, outside of that, we have, you know, again, working with a very high level standardized design, our reinforcement layer, whether or not that's braid, coil, a laser cut hypo tube. Um, so, you know, we, we have kind of a, a lot of different um, tools in our tool belt within that reinforcement layer, maybe even making that two layers um, changing throughout the length where those layers um, you know, what what the PPI is, the pitch is kind of changing which of those tools we're using along the length of that shaft. Um, and then we have, you know, kind of that outermost jacket. And typically within that layer, exactly as you noted, that's why we're running the pull wires. Sometimes those have their own kind of lubricious liner within them. Um, depending on application, they can sit inside or outside of the reinforcement layer. Um, but we're running some of those accessory lumens that I noted before, if we have any mapping capabilities or active energy delivery, um, so those, those wires would be running through some of those accessory lumens. Um, our reinforcement ring or a pull wire ring that our pull wires are connected to would sit kind of right there. Um, again, that can either be in the reinforcement layer or right on top of, depending on application. Um, any uh, RO markers so that we're making sure that all that's being shown under fluoro and we have good positioning during the procedures. Um, and then that outer jacket is a, a standard um, thermopolymer. Typically, we're getting into more additives um, as we kind of push some of the design spaces. But I would say with a lot of our shafts, we have two to three different outer jackets there based on the length to get different performance characteristics. So. Um, it's all kind of a very high level standard overview mm -hmm. of a lot of the same layers that we're always looking at every time we're designing and we're challenging some of those design inputs that have been provided and, and verifying what those end performance characteristics are. You mentioned uh, a lot when we, about accessory lumens and the, mm -hmm. the different functionality of those lumens for, for fluids, wires, um, pull wires and whatever it might be or mm -hmm. for, for a four way or just in general for steerables, are you seeing more lumens in the, in the multi-lumen extrusions beyond three or four for, for these type of applications? Not a lot that are beyond three or four. Um, you know, I, I would say, um, we used to see quite a lot that were just like one, just a unidirectional steerable. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I would say we, with at least a lot of the programs and devices we're working on, uh, we are moving a lot more into kind of the, the two to four. Um, so where we may be adding another plane of deflection, but we're really adding some additional lumens. Um, and then, um, especially with some of the designs that really require high positional control and really pred predictable articulation, really ensuring that, you know, if you're, if you have a design that articulates when you look down the end of the catheter, really ensuring that that's in plane and not deviating up or down while you articulate, mm -hmm. um, you know, th there's been kind of a higher need for those more precise articulations, um, getting the symmetry of the, the, um, lumens has been a, a lot more critical. Um, as well as, you know, like the concentricity of some of those outer jackets and the components that go into it. Um, but, you know, we work, while, while we do have a good number of programs that are, that we work on that are later phase in production that we're kind of um, 
really attuned to the design for manufacturing aspects of it. We also work very early stage with a, a lot of customers that they may not fully know for the first iterations kind of what the exact number of lumens is. So um, I would also say it's not super atypical for a customer to, to add a lumen for initial feasibility to get to that first animal study and then kind of reduce from there. Okay. You mentioned uh, deployment forces and accurate precisional control. Does that have a bearing on the reinforcement that you design? Whether or not it's a laser cut height versus a, a braid or a coil reinforcement, for instance, maybe higher deployment forces for a structural heart application versus a electrophysiology um, ablation catheter? Yeah. So, you know, those two you kind of mentioned along with, you know, the anatomical pathway and kind of what that overall system looks like and, and all of those functional requirements kind of drive us towards where where we're going to go and target with um, that reinforcement layer. Um, with um, kind of a ablation or, um, you know, active energy versus uh, like a, a passive electrode reading, some of those have less stringent kind of force requirements on them where the shaft design doesn't need to be as complex or as robust to maintain the same performance that's required for kind of the life of that procedure, um, depending on, you know, how many articulations it'll need, how many um, ablations would be required within that procedure. Um, with some of those higher force applications, um, especially in a couple of the anatomical areas that get kind of very tight or torturous while you're doing a valve deployment or a repair, um, there, there are absolutely benefits um, over braid or coil with a laser cut and, and vice versa, right? Because when, when we look at that, we look at the cost of those changes. Um, you know, everyone is sensitive to lead times. How, how quickly can we iterate? How quickly can we prototype? Can we get designs to market, but also do that in the most cost-effective manner? So, um, you know, as as with a, a lot of uh, companies similar to ours, like we have full braiding and coiling capabilities in-house, but we, for example, don't have laser cutting in-house. So we work with a lot of local partners um, and kind of depending on where those, um, those capabilities lie, um, and especially with some of the supply chain items, you know, one thing we found, for example, is uh, to, iter to design and iterate a laser cut hypo tube may take a couple of weeks up front and then your subsequent iterations are you know one week and, and mm -hmm. very quick um a braid or coil you may be able to get the first designs in one week and still kind of maintain that iteration um but really kind of understanding um what levers can get pulled with each of them um and where you could be with a laser cut for example where you could be selective with the cut patterns to maintain um some of your tensile requirements but still get preferential bending for example um we really kind of look at all of those um mm -hmm. and especially for some of the more complex designs if you're trying to optimize the number of shafts within a delivery system um you know i i wouldn't say it'd be atypical that to leverage both reinforcements kind of preferentially to optimize both performance as well as end cost. Okay. When you work with a partner on a laser cut hypo tube for a particular application, are, are you involved in the design input for 
the cut pattern or do you rely solely on them, uh, your partner to, to develop that cut pattern? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so our company um, primarily um, works with that partner and kind of leverages a lot of their expertise, their laser capabilities, and really, really understands how it's going to work with the overall system, right? Here, here's the end requirements of this shaft. It needs to meet this kink, this force requirement, this bend angle, and this bend diameter, and kind of providing those inputs and understanding, you know, not just the component has to do that, but the end shaft. Once we add our lubricious liner, once we pair it up, if there's any proximal or distal reinforcement elsewhere, once we add the outer jacket, really understanding that performance. Um, what, one of the benefits that we do have as a company is we, you know, like we, we have a lot of the staff on hand um, or a couple of our staff have, have that experience um, to, you know, provide a starting point, but um, especially with a couple of the partners that we have, we, we, we leverage very heavily the experience that they have designing similar um, devices. Um, you know, kind of one area we focus, and I, I think this is something you, you and I were speaking about offline, is mm-hmm. um, we're really kind of a, a catheter company. We, we focus on the catheter that's getting to market, the complex delivery system, the reinforced shaft, and really focusing on that design and really understanding what it needs to do procedurally, translating those into the design puts, and then specking all of the components. Um, we offer some component capabilities in-house, such as extrusion and balloons, but those are really a function of needs out of the um, the control that we needed to develop and produce some of those catheters. Um, so, you know, while we have personnel that have experience designing laser cut tubes, we, we really leverage those partners um, that, that are able to kind of design, develop the recipes and run them on the machines yeah. and then make sure that they're getting integrated appropriately and achieving that end performance requirement. Okay. Excellent. Let's talk a little bit about the handle on the proximal end of the steerable catheter that's used to control uh, the tip. What can you share about the control handle design and the mechanism for actuating the pull wires to, to control the catheter tip? Yeah. You know, um, from a mechanism perspective, I, I would say there's kind of two primarily that we work with, right? Um, kind of that standard um, lead screw design where you're taking kind of a rotational motion within the handle and translating that to linear motion um, or more of a, a standard kind of rotary mechanism or, or like a bell, bell shape or heart shape where um, your pull wires are attaching to the rotary element directly, and then that's actually being rotated within the handle. Um, so with those two kind of overall platforms, what, what, we, what we tend to do, you know, as we engage very early, right, there's a lot of desire to be able to iterate a shaft, put it into a fixture or handle quickly and articulate and test and make sure it's working. Um, so, you know, um, our, ourselves and, and I know quite a few others have developed kind of those bench top models to be able to just kind of put that in a, a plate fixture to articulate quickly. Um, with a lot of the handles um, that we work with, 
we'll start with, you know, whether or not it's the rotary or the lead screw mechanism, we start with those um, through kind of uh, like a, a set screw or tepor temporary fixturing attachment to allow you to keep reusing the same handle, iterate quickly. Um, and then long-term after kind of full characterization of the shaft, as you get further into the development process, right? Those can turn into um, crimp typo tubes, welded, welded hypo tubes to those to for more of that kind of longer, more robust design element where you aren't going to be, you know, um, unassembling the handle and, and needing to iterate um, from that perspective. And then, you know, kind of whether or not we work with a rotary element or a lead screw mechanism is, is highly dependent on um, the customer's needs, right? We've mentioned kind of those accessory lumens. Are we routing electrodes through? Um, you know, it, does the design have another tube that runs through the ID that needs like linear actuation for deployment and retrieval? Um, so really just kind of understanding um, all of those secondary and tertiary aspects of the design impacts, you know, which steerable handle overall design we're going to go with based on through lumens, accessory lumens. Um, and the overall handle profile stay the same, but some of the internals will shift as you get to more of a steady state design and uh, disassembly of, or uh, yeah, disassembly of the handles isn't required. Um, you know, one of the things that we've done and as well as quite a few others is we have kind of an off the shelf 3D printed handle that um, we don't offer by itself, but if we're developing a custom handle for someone or excuse me if we develop a custom shaft for someone whether or not it's unidirectional bidirectional quadirectional if they don't if they haven't developed their long-term custom handle yet this is an option to be able to kind of add it on get full functionality um, of at least the steering and articulation capabilities depending on what some of those other accessory items are and get into an animal, you know, or get to an investor or, you know, a, a marketing sample, right? Um, right. Be, without having to develop that custom handle right away. Cause you right. know, we, we, we all know once you develop the shaft and you bring it to an animal, there's going to be changes both for the shaft and the handle physician feedback. Um, and so we, we've developed that, um, for, for our internal use to kind of accelerate that development process um, and uh, save, save money, quite frankly, you know, mm -hmm. you, you, you want to make sure that um, kind of the, the business end of the catheter is, is doing exactly what it needs to um, before making kind of the investment in, in the handle set. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Ross, this has been a, a real great discussion. Uh, Appreciate you taking the time to join us on the MedX podcast to talk about steerable and deflectable catheters, and we hope to have you back on again soon. Likewise, I really appreciate you taking the time, and I look forward to talking again soon. All right. Thanks. Thank you for listening to MedX, the medical extrusion podcast presented by U.S. Extruders. Please subscribe to make sure you're getting the latest episodes. For video episodes, go to us-extruders.com forward slash podcasts. All links are available in the show notes.